DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Missionary Benedictines of Christ the King Priory, presents The Holy Rule of St. Benedict, a spiritual path for today's world, with Father Mauritius Vildi. Father Mauritius did his philosophical, theological, and doctoral studies in Rome. He is the author of numerous books, including I Want to Understand You, Encountering Foreign Worlds with the Little Prince, The New Image of God's Image, Meister Eckhart on Image and Theology, Peter and Paul, Models of Decision-Making, and On the Way, Benedict's Journey for Spiritual Maturity. Father Mauritius also serves as the prior of Sant'Anselmo in Rome. The Holy Rule of St. Benedict, a spiritual path for today's world, with Father Mauritius Vildi. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Mauritius, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's so good to see you again and to hear you again. For those folks who have been following us for, I can actually say, many years now, we find ourselves actually recording this in a very unique setting, don't we? Someplace different, far from the heartland of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, you you had the chance to come to Rome. This is where I live now. I've been living here for two years here at Sant'Anselmo, which is the uh, Benedictine Center here in Rome. And so it's just wonderful to see you here and to talk about spiritual things and meditations together with you. You have brought forward a new work that has given you insight in a particular area of our lives. I I find it so compelling, and I'm, I'm very anxious to be able to bring this forward to everyone. Why don't you share that? Thank you. Um, I, I would love to share this with you. I uh, just uh, published a new book in German. I hope that uh, not before long there will be also an English translation. But this book is on soberness. I want to explain a little bit how I found this topic or how this topic found me. I was so tired of the things I was hearing, listening, and watching through the media. Our world has become so heated. Emotions, wherever you look, And I was wondering, what would be a good remedy in this situation? And it came to me, one remedy could be soberness. Just to be sober. Kind of to cool down a little bit. And as I was uh, reflecting on this, I made a discovery. The German word for soberness is nüchternheit. Sober is nüchtern. And this word actually comes from a Latin word, nocturnus. And that means at night. So soberness has something to do with the night, interesting enough. And then I found, I did a little research and found that originally this word uh, comes from the monastic context. It is a monastic virtue, soberness, originally. And this is how I kind of started to dig deeper and to try to bring to light what what that all entails. Now, you brought up an interesting example that you said that 
this particular scene we've seen in movies. We see those kind of movies and imagery all the time today. Yes, we see this in the news, and it's actually being played out. God help us all when those occur. We actually pay money to go to theaters and watch things like this on cable, and we call it entertainment, Father Mauritius. Mm -hmm. When I uh, continued to develop this, this idea, I thought this book will never sell because it's not a very sexy title, right? Soberness. So this is really something that does not attract. It's kind of the opposite of what attracts. <laughs> but it attracted me. I wanted to know how does soberness taste? There's a taste to soberness. It sounds a little bit paradox. And there's a good taste to it. And actually the first thing I came across was kind of a negative example, an example where I found this is exactly the opposite. This is the lack of soberness. And this is where I started my reflection. And I found this in the Holy Scriptures in the Gospel of Mark, the sixth chapter. And if you don't mind, I would like to read that to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read, Herod was the one who had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, whom he had married. John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias harbored a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but was unable to do so. Herod feared John, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, and kept him in custody. When he heard him speak, he was very much perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. He had an opportunity one day with Herod on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers, his military officers, and the leading man of Galilee. Herodias' own daughter came, came in and performed a dance that delighted Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask of me whatever you wish, and I will grant it to you. He even swore many things and, to her, I will grant you whatever you ask of me, even to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? She replied. The head of John the Baptist. The girl hurried back to the king's presence and made her request. I want you to give me at once on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was deeply distressed, but because of his oaths and the guests, he did not wish to break his word to her. So he promptly dispatched an executioner with orders to bring back his head. He went off and beheaded him in the prison. He brought in the head on a platter and gave it to the girl. The girl, in turn, gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, 
they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is a terrible story. And I must tell you, in a way, I'm happy that this story is in the Holy Scriptures because it allows us to accept that those terrible things really happen in this world. It's just a reality. Maybe not as drastic as here, but sometimes similarly drastic. We see here what happens when people are not by themselves. Basically, all of them were not by themselves. Herod, he was torn. On one hand, he was fascinated by John. He loves to listen to him. On the other hand, John reminds him of his guilty conscience. Fear is a big factor in this story. Herod is afraid of the followers of John. This is why he protects him. He fears a bad reputation. So on, on his side, there's a lot of fear. His wife, instead, is full of grudge. And the guests, probably full of curiosity. What's going on here? Let's see, you know, how they are fighting. It's exciting to see those kind of things. And let us for a moment also remember the whole situation. We have a celebration. So what was involved? I'm pretty sure eating, that's a feast, drinking, probably a lot of drinking, I assume, a beautiful girl dancing. Hmm. So there is a situation that befogs Herod so that he makes this insane promise. He's kind of carried away by this mixture of alcohol, eating, beautiful women, dancing. Dancing also means music, right? There was also music. So this all carried him away from himself, and he did something that he would never have done if he would have been sober. Never. To promise somebody the half of his kingdom. It's crazy. So he does something that is really crazy because he is not sober. Something that would hurt him, damage him himself. Instead of the, in the end, only one was the victim, it was John the Baptist. So somebody had to pay for all of this. Herodias, instead, she finds this is the time for my final manipulation. And Herod gives in. And this last scene <laughs> could have been taken from a Hollywood movie, you know, as the cut-off head is carried in on a silver platter, probably still bleeding, in the midst of half-naked, half-drunken people. Imagine this this image, this, this situation. We have here kind of a negative example of 
the devastating consequences from the lack of soberness. Because in a way, nobody was really sober at, at that point. And then things start to twist and to terrible situations come about. My guess is that wars mostly come about this way. The people are not by themselves. And then things get crazy. In this particular situation, the scripture, as you were reading it, there's an overindulgence of everything. I can't help but think of John Cassian's renunciations when he speaks about gluttony and, and lust and things. And that bottom rung of his teaching, it's all present here. And look at the catastrophic results. And it might be entertaining because it speaks to something that is in our heart. We all have an abyss in our souls, in our hearts. There's a lot of negativity in our own heart. And as we've seen it on the screen, as we see it on the screen, watch it on the screen, we kind of feel confirmed. It's an affirmation. Ah, okay. And I would say even the Holy Scripture works with this. Why, why did this terrible story end up in the holy, sacred scriptures. So in a way, it's good to be confronted with it, but in the right dose. <laughs> so, you know, you have all the holy stories uh, in the scripture, in the gospel. This is one of the very few ones. If you, okay, you, we have the situations when the Pharisees want to stone Jesus and we have the crucifixion, so we have enough cruel stuff also in the scripture because it is part of our world. So in this sense, uh, it's important to dose, you know, it's uh, in a way we cannot avoid the situations in reality, and but we should not, I agree, entertain ourselves. Uh, this is not a good way to, to, entertain, to be entertained. It is also played out in some ways, I'm going to sound controversial, I think, but in even our sporting arenas. There was a time, I remember as a young girl, the, the most violent sport you would see is boxing. That pales in comparison to some of the, literally, the cage sport that we have today. And again, that's just, a, just an example of what I think you're saying, the opposite of that virtue, that somehow this really is a public feeding of an interior hunger. Yes. And this is why I wanted to reflect on that, because here you have kind of, in one place, all this negativity, it's not nice to look at it, but it's once a while too, uh, kind of wholesome to look at it, to understand, okay, this is how dangerous uh, this kind of overindulgence can become and, and is. And in this sense, it's dangerous, because even as a spectator, even as somebody who's just attending, you are participating. You know, all these guests, I can imagine they were kind of happy to see what's going on here, a little cruelty, because... So even if you just watch, it has an effect. So we should rather watch and pray. We should rather, with our positive thoughts and staying connected with God, we should look at all these situations. And that brings me to the positive side and image of so soberness. Now, I want to kind of 
turn away from 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 this uh, terrible story and and rather look at what what how does soberness taste soberness is more than just not drinking not eating it is more it is being freed of or at least not overly identified with our emotions and you named some of them already frustration anger fear envy sadness curiosity worries soberness means being free being detached from these emotions but again soberness is even more than just some an absence of this is how we understand it mostly right you know, we don't eat or we don't drink so we are sober but what i found is there's even when we go this this way when we try to enter into this virtue we discover something like there's a positive quality of soberness it's more than the absence of food drink and emotions soberness has its own taste and when we have found it we don't want to lose it anymore when we have one tasted how soberness tastes and feels want to keep it and i want to give some examples of that for example i i love pops and soda and there was a time when i i drank quite a bit of that basically all i drank was pops but you do this only for a period of time then you sense mm, it's too much so i turned it was too sweet and i turned to just drinking water and i loved it i i realized how good water is just clean cool water now when i can choose i prefer the water over over a pop it tastes better it has a taste another example often we use the radio or television as a background noise you know we enter our home and the first thing we do is turn on the radio turn on the television because we don't feel so alone <laughs> it's kind of a accompaniment when we stop that when we intentionally turn off the radio turn off the television and stand the silence in the house we begin to discover it's a process it's a journey we begin to discover how beautiful silence is just silence when you have once tasted silence how beautiful that is if you don't hear anything then you want to have it again you want to have more of it and then the background noise starts to disturb you another example i did some pilgrimages with my students many years ago 
on the Camino to Santiago de Compostela and in other ways. And I remember at the beginning, I often had too much in my backpack. You know, my backpack had um, 12, 13 kilogram. I don't know how much that is, but it's, it, it, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, oof. I was young, okay, but it was just too much. And then after a while, I realized, oh, I don't need this, I don't need that. And I got rid of many, many things. And so the more experience I had in, in uh, walking and being a pilgrim, I took less and less with me. And it was freeing. It's really a sober consideration. What do I really need on my way? You know, nowadays it's a big trend, simplify your life. But this is exactly what, what I mean. You know, if, if we just take with us what we need, it's kind of sober, it's not very exciting. But there's an excitement in, in just using this. <laughs> there's a beauty in this. So the virtue of soberness poses this question. What do I take with me? What do I take in? What do I consume? This is basically the question. The virtue of soberness starts with this question. What do I take in? How much noise, how much music, how much wine, how much whatever. How much money, even money. You know, you can even get drunk with money if you wish by a rich, uh, richness and richdom. So what do I consume? We'll return in just a moment to The Holy Rule of St. Benedict, a spiritual guide for today's world with Father Mauritius Fildi. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. Glorious St. Benedict, sublime model of virtue, pure vessel of God's grace, behold me humbly kneeling at your feet. I implore you in your loving kindness to pray for me before the throne of God. To you I have recourse in the dangers that daily surround me. Shield me against my selfishness and my indifference to God and to my neighbor. Inspire me to imitate you in all things. May your blessing be with me always, so that I may see and serve Christ in others and work for his kingdom. Graciously obtain for me from God those favors and graces which I need so much in the trials, miseries, and afflictions of life. Your heart was always full of love, compassion, and mercy toward those who were afflicted or troubled in any way. 
You never dismissed without consolation and assistance anyone who had recourse to you. I therefore invoke your powerful intercession, confident in the hope that you will hear my prayers and obtain for me the special grace and favor I earnestly implore. Help me, great Saint Benedict, to live and die as a faithful child of God, to run in the sweetness of His loving will, and to attain the eternal happiness of heaven. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Holy Rule of St. Benedict, a spiritual guide for today's world with Father Mauritius Vildi. I think that's an incredible insight on soberness because I think you were right in the beginning when we, when we think about being sober, we think of sobering up from alcohol use. I, need, I felt intoxicated. I need to sober up. Or maybe you might stretch it to an enthusiasm about something and I need to quell my disposition. But it's, I think that's very true. And it, it sounds as almost like those other things, whether it's having to have a lot of news. I, I have to know the news. And I have to, um, I need to have music on the background. It's sobering up from those things we use to intoxicate ourselves or to, another way of saying it is self-medicating. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you bring this up because one chapter in my book is actually on uh, sobering, sobering up from news. Uh, there, there is a kind of inclination in us that we want to have the latest news and the, we kind of cannot live without <laughs> having this latest. But do we really need it? And it has an effect on us, in one way or the other. I, I want to share with you how this monastic virtue was thought from the beginning. As I said, the word soberness, nüchtern, nüchternheit, comes from nocturnus, nightly, at night. So the monks abstained, and still abstain, from eating and drinking during the night. This is where the word comes from. The monks did not eat and drink at night, so they were nocturnus, they were sober. Why? Very simply, because they wanted to be open and prepared for the reception of the Holy Eucharist in the morning. They wanted to be ready to receive God instead of receiving consuming 
wine and all kinds of food or whatever. They wanted to stay empty, if you wish, and to be ready to taste God. So in the past, we had this rule in the church that from midnight on, when you wanted to go to Mass, you had to be stay sober. So that was at night that people were kind of... Night and soberness are, are, are correlated. And then after Vatican II, we have now the rule at least one hour before the Holy Eucharist. Before you receive the Eucharist, you should be sober, which really, really makes sense. Um, and if, if you think about it, it might be a funny thought now, I don't know. But the host has almost no taste, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it is white, it is round, and has almost no taste. But if we abstain from eating before we receive the Holy Communion, we even appreciate and sense that this little host has a taste. And certainly the Eucharistic abstinence is not primarily for the sake of the good physical taste, but has the, the, the intention to be able to taste the divine, to taste God's presence. You know, if we fill us up with all kinds of things, we know how that tastes. But how can, we, how can we taste God? How can we taste the divine? And at the Eucharist we do it. We taste him. So how does he taste? That's such an interesting insight, Father Mauritius, because, you know, coming here to Europe, particularly to Italy, I've noticed that, for example, the desserts that we receive in a meal, they're smaller in portion, but they're so delicious. And so you appreciate every bite. And I don't mean to sound so harshly about the United States, my, my beloved home country, but we have uh, outlets entitled the Cheesecake Factory. And dessert, you know, our desserts are huge. And when we eat them, I mean, you almost feel sick afterwards because you've consumed so much you don't leave thinking, boy, that tasted good. Instead, you feel, oh, I feel sick. I shouldn't have done that. Yes. And, I, and I don't know if we realize the gift. A dessert is supposed to be a treat. That's just an example of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. You made a great point. Uh, it's important. How is the aftertaste? The aftertaste shows you if it was good what you have consumed or how much you have consumed. That, that clearly shows you. So one has to, it's a, basically an art of becoming aware of awareness. Um, to be awake and aware, does it good, does it, does it me good? Nothing is bad in the eyes of God. Wine is good. A dessert, I'm sure God has nothing against yeah. <laughs> desserts. So he has created this world Good, wonderfully, but it's a question of measure, the right measure, and that's a Benedictine topic, certainly, discretio, discernment. How much do I need? What do I need and how much do I need? And 
So the journey of soberness is just to reflect on that. And we don't have to do this all the time. Only if our soul and our body kind of gives us the signal of, hmm, now that was too much, okay, then I should draw the consequences. It's only this. And not override this awareness and kind of avoid this, this thing. But just um, next time, okay. You know, we all know this when we were young. Everybody almost was, was once intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know how you feel afterwards, the day after. It's terrible. Very, this is healing. <laughs> you don't have to do it again. If you then do it again, you have a problem. So in this sense, the virtue of, of sobriety, of, of soberness, invites us to be empty enough to still, through all these beautiful things that God has created, sense and feel the Creator Himself. That not those things, those material things feed us, but through these material things, God. But in order to do this, we have once in a while even to, to stop consuming. And that means to fast, you know, or to, to really restrain from certain things. And this is basically the way of the monk, you know. The monk restrains from many things, not as as a goal in itself, but because he loves so much the taste of God. He loves when he, like an empty vessel, recognizes and experiences that God himself enters into his soul. That it is him who fills me totally. One of the mechanisms today that brings us so much what it is you've alluded to in the beginning with your example of John the Baptist. And it was essentially a party of people, maybe you could call it a small mob of people, who were fed in so many different venues. In today's world, we have this mechanism of a smartphone or a tablet or something that connects us socially and makes us into maybe what we could call a mob, a small mob, or even a large one. That's a danger, isn't it, Father Mauritius? This is an excellent analogy, an excellent observation. Yeah, I've never th connected this so strongly. Yeah. In, in order to complicate the thing a little bit, I want to also add that sometimes not only negative emotions can make us drunk, that means anger, fear, sadness, but also positive emotions can befog our mind and steal our soberness. Uh, let me share you a story, an example. I remember I was a student in Würzburg in Germany, studied theology, and one day I had, uh, I went to, um, uh, how do you say in English, uh, somebody who trains my voice. Um, vocal yes, a vocal instructor. And it was a very nice lesson, and I uh, was going home on my bicycle. He lived in a, in a little village not far from the city, so I had a couple miles to go on my bicycle. It was in May. 
The sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. The air was full of good smells. I was young and f had a lot of energy and I was bicycling like crazy. And I remember I was even singing on the bicycle. I was so happy. I was so happy. And then I, I went down on a hill with my bicycle and that was really speed, I tell you. I was really, really fast. There were no other cars on the road. I was the king on the road. And then at the end of this road, I had to turn left into another bigger road. And I did not look on the right-hand side. There was a car coming, so I just missed this car. And he almost hit me. I could just, in the last second, I could... Uh, um, kind of turn, but I ended up in the ditch. The bicycle was uh, totally uh, destroyed. I will never forget this moment. It was very sobering, I tell you. <laughs> so, um, lucky enough, I didn't, it was a miracle. I did not break any bones. Actually, the, the, the ambulance came, uh, they brought me to the hospital. But basically, there was nothing, so I was was incredible. My guardian angels, I'm really thankful to them. But I will never forget this kind of combination of emotions. So, you know, I would never have thought before that it is a bad thing to sing, to ride the bicycle, to enjoy the sun, to enjoy uh, the landscape. But with this all, I had lost myself. I had kind of lost the contact to the reality a little bit. And, you know, if you turn into um, other bigger road, you have to look if there's a car coming or not. I did not. I thought I'm the only one in this world. And, I had, and, and the speed also. The speed also uh, brought me into a kind of ecstasy. So this combination. What I want to say is that you can also be drunk by good feelings. And then it's, a not, it's not a good thing. So all the, the mystic and spiritual tradition tells you, basically, it is not important how you feel. In a way, it's, it doesn't matter if you feel fear or joy. In a way, it doesn't matter something positive or negative, both can take away from the soberness that is open for God and the reality of this earth. Again, I'm not saying that soberness is a state in which we feel kind of serious and, uh, I don't know, uh, suffering. Not at all. Uh, this is why I emphasize there's a good taste to soberness. But we should, well, yeah, we should also be careful with kind of positive feelings. Enthusiasm you mentioned before. So there's even a kind of enthusiasm that is morally not good, that is destructive. So soberness instead is simple and friendly. Any final thoughts on this particular part of our conversation, Father Mauritius? Mm -hmm. Maybe just a question for all of us to reflect on. How does the divine taste? 
Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever had the sense, this is how the divine tastes? That is something to ponder. Thank you so much, Father Mauritius. You're most welcome. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to The Holy Rule of St. Benedict, A Spiritual Path for Today's World with Father Mauritius Vildi. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. You can also hear it on the free Discerning Hearts app available on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Holy Rule of St. Benedict, a spiritual path for today's world with Father Mauritius Fildi.